Welcome, I'm Jan Marshall from Melbourne Business School. With me today is John Trevilian, Associate and Program Director of the Senior Managers Program here at Melbourne Business School. John has more than 21 years of leadership development experience, establishing best practice programs in Australia, Europe, USA and across Asia Pacific for leading organisations. Today we're taking a trip down strategy lane, talking about how companies and senior managers build and implement strategy. John, implementing strategy, surely that's the role of a CEO rather than a senior manager. What could you tell us about that? Um, I think there is a, a very big part of the program or the idea of the CEO being part of the strategy execution. It's up to the strategy to be decided by the CEO and the board. But all the research seems to indicate that less than 50% of all strategies actually work. And I think there's two parts of that. First of all, is it a good strategy? If it's a good strategy, then obviously it's got a chance of success. But if all we have to do is look at the um, financial review, the, the, the financial papers, to look at certain things that don't seem to work. Was Masters a good idea for Woolworths? Was, it, was how they put it into practice good? Probably was, but was it a good strategy? The second part, I think the CEO's job is really to, I suppose, select the right people and put them in the right place to make certain that the organisation, if we're going to move in a certain direction, we have the right people there that can achieve that. So I would say the leadership from the top would be what the CEO is on about, walking the talk, developing the strategy and putting right people in the right place. But for to make it actually happen, we need the senior managers to put it into in implementation. So what could you tell us about the role of the senior manager in implementing strategy? Good question, Jan. Um, alignment with goals would be the first thing. If we're going to make this work, we need to have some sort of process in place which the senior managers understand. So the senior managers would be part of the process to design and work through scorecards, strategy maps that we talk about. Uh, it should be that those executive meetings that they're attending, that the percentage of time that is spent on where the strategy is going is, is what we spend our time on. Our, again, our research, when we look at uh, executive committee meetings and their minutes, we would see that the, the discussion about the strategy is such a small part of what we're trying to do. Most of the times we're talking about down in the weeds. We're talking about the colour of this and the, this tie, which is, has to be done. But is, is that at the detriment of actually achieving our strategy? If we're going to have alignment with goals, it's important that our budget is actually aligned with the strategy rather than the budget being decided by what we did last year and add 3%. If we're going to put a new project or something into practice, can we fund it? Can we make it work? I think uh, the key part, though, for the senior manager in this is the communication process down. Um, if we go back to the balanced scorecard from Kaplan and Norton, their research showed clearly that the people who are at the front line, less than 10% understand what the strategy is about, less than 10%. So how can we possibly get the, the strategy to work if they don't understand it? The senior manager is normally now dealing down through their managers, but close to, to the, the coalface than within the normal CEO who is thinking about policies, thinking about strategy. So I'd see that their, their role is very much about communicating the strategy down. So taking the strategy maps, working with them, explaining those to the staff so they can see their role in it. And also, I think the key that we talk about on our programs here is the idea that everybody who is impacted by the decision has to have some part of the decision. So less than 10% of those frontline managers actually understand what we're trying to achieve in, in the strategy. So it's important that the senior manager can make certain that they are delivering that communication down 
to that uh, frontline leader, middle managers, whoever. And they do that through the scorecards, they do it through strategy maps, and they do it through communication. Uh, one of the things we talk about is that all those people who are being impacted by a decision should have some say in the implementation and creation of that decision. So that doesn't mean that, if, that we're gonna uh, tell the CEO where we should be going. No, that's where we're going and that's where we have to follow. But how we do that and how we make it happen is those people who are at the front line. So it's very important for the senior manager to work with them. We talk about getting jointly decided action, talk about getting a coalition behind the winning of our strategy and a sustainable strategy. So not something which the people at the front line look at and say, well, that's crazy. They need to understand why the company needs to do this and why it's important and how we can make this succeed. Again, all the research says that most of the people in your organisation, 90 plus percent, want to be successful. They love being successful. So we need to help them and give them the tools to be able to do that. John, when strategies fail, is it that uh, those red flags that may be within the organisation, because I'm thinking of these frontline managers that you referred to, are there some signals that people are unable to hear or, or won't listen to that might warn them that a strategy uh, is not going well? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think often the CEO sees himself as the captain of the ship. And how do we turn a ship around? Now, I hear this metaphor often. Well, a ship can be turned around quite easy by spinning the propellers and, <laughs> and turning the wheel. But that's what I would see as a complex type situation, complex system, similar to uh, an aeroplane taking off, a big Boeing 747 or whatever the, the plane that you're sitting on at the moment. Um, how What we look at, though, is a much more complex situation. When you're dealing with people, it's not push a, push a lever and automatically something happens at the end like you would see in a production line. It's important that we get the people who are there to understand what we're trying to achieve. Too often, if the communication hasn't got through to them, they think they're doing the right job or they can't understand why we're not getting the stats. So I think the problem is we need to have this jointly, well, what we call stakeholder engagement on our programs, negotiation, persuading, whatever you like, where there is open communication coming back up to say, this is where I'm having trouble achieving what you want. How can you help me? And too often, I think it is one-way traffic coming down, and if it's not working, maybe the voices become louder, maybe there's more emails, maybe we change the KPIs in the wrong direction, or we, or we get rid of people. Again, the um, stats show that 85% of our problems in organisations are systemic. They're not the people. 15% come from people making mistakes, but 85% are. There is a systems problem in your organisation which people can help you get rid of. So I've heard it said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. That sounds like that relates to the systems issues that you're talking about. Exactly. The, the culture is, uh, one of our colleagues, Graham Taylor, who ran the strategy program, would use that every time we talk about something. And his points are really valid. The culture of your organisation is the bit below that you don't see. Above the line is where we change our performance measures. Above the line, we put in organisational restructures and all that sort of stuff. But what really matters is who are the people that are running it below the line. And your culture will look at this and say, well, this is a dumb idea. We'll be passive, assertive, passive, aggressive. We will do whatever to not let this happen. And not deliberately, just because they can't see where we're going. 
you know, I think a good CEO would also be listening to this so that they can get to understand, again, what, what we would call a clear but fuzzy strategy. You've come up with a great idea. We live in a world that's changing just so fast. So if you can't vary it slightly, you can't take into account some of the other ideas that are coming in, you're not going to succeed. So what does um, good strategy execution look like from, from your point of view? Well, good strategy execution has a whole heap of things in it, I think. So we've, we've covered a couple of them already, which I think is alignment with goals. Uh, we talk about clear but fuzzy strategy and we talk about the methodology of communication, forwards and ups. And we use terms like stakeholder engagement, negotiation, influencing, persuading. But really, it's about listening. It's asking questions and listening. Um, as I say to people, if you ask a question, you can take the advice, you acknowledge the advice, but you don't have to accept it. But I think a good senior manager is always listening to advice and understanding the people are giving me this information because they think it's helpful. Um, so the other things we would see is really the key. I think one of the big mistakes that organisations make in all of this is their performance measurement. They come from the principle that, again, it's a top-down driven organisation. So our KPIs escalate up and down. Whereas if you think about a complex organisation, one that has all these different variables in it, then what you have to have is measures that measure how people cooperate across the organisation. So we should be measuring not just the budget and, and stats, but what about uh, comments like um, agility? teamwork, uh, drive, decision-making, cross-functional measures, all the measures that would then highlight this is how our organisation really works and how we, we need to work together on those things. Um, I suppose what we're talking about as well, the last point I would see about how to make strategy work would be through distributed leadership. Good organisations, the organisations I've been involved with, um, Bunnings and a few others, would have what I would see as being a distributed leadership. They allow people at lower levels to be in charge of the areas that they are. Good measures in place, controlling them within, the, within where our organisation is going, very tight frameworks, but they allow them to make decisions. Or if they can't make a decision, they know how they can move the decision making further up as we go along. So I see that as being one of the real key parts for middle managers, frontline managers. And the senior manager's job is to make certain that the CEO is part of that process. Yep. So part of the thing we would see on, on our programs, we get people who are CEOs of small businesses. We get people who report to the CEO and some, some huge companies, larger companies, they're one step down. In some cases, they're part of the strategy team, but they've gone away on the hill. They've worked on the strategy. Now they come back, they're responsible for putting it into practice. When we were, uh, started off this conversation, you spoke about um, masters as perhaps an example of uh, some success, but perhaps not the right strategy. Could you talk to us a bit about that? Uh, this is only my opinion coming from the outside because uh, I was working with one of their competitors, so I'm a biased person. But it seems to me if you looked at masters, what they tried to do was come into a market where there was a very strong competitor and there were other competitors available out there as well, if you think of Mitre 10 and so on who are successful. Then what ma uh, masters seems to have done is look for the exact copy in terms of location and styles of their businesses. Now, they had different products in there, so they were trying to differentiate with white products and all white goods and so on. But the reality was it was if you drove down the street and say near where I live, I drove down one of the major highways, left-hand side Bunnings, right-hand side Masters. 
directly opposite each other. So what, what's their value proposition? So again, in our program, we look at things like value curves for, our, for your customers. Why would I go to, to my to 10 or Masters instead of Bunnings? The question is, well, it's got to be some difference that I would really attract me to. Is it going to be price? Bunnings say they'll match it by 10, anything by 10%, right below. So very difficult to move into a space where there is already a very strong uh, competitor to work through. I'm not too sure it was ever had much chance of success, but I wasn't part of their executive meetings and I don't work in that area full time. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it looks like from the beginning it was going to be very hard. And I'm sure that what that did for Bunnings was give them again a chance to have, if I can put this, a common enemy. Why do we need to do this? We need to be focused because here comes, here comes Masters. So we're going to do these specials. We're going to do all this sort of stuff. We've been in the business. Our bank accounts are good. We've got good backgrounds. And their style of marketing seems to have worked. So very difficult. But Mitre 10 is still surviving. Thanks, John. And we'll pause here now for a short break. We'll be back in a few seconds. To those chosen to come here and to the organisations they represent, congratulations and welcome. You're making a clear announcement that you want to do more, achieve more, and be more. While you're with us, you'll be among the best, learning from the best. You'll leave changed, and then be called upon to lead change. So to you we say, welcome to Melbourne Business School. Welcome to the world class. Welcome back, and today we're talking with John Trevelyan, Associate and Program Director of the Senior Managers Program at Melbourne Business School. John, also when we're talking at the beginning of this conversation, you referred to the fact that organisations need a good strategy. When I hear people talking about strategy, sometimes there's some confusion about what that term really means. How do we define strategy can be a bit different for, between people. Could you tell us a bit more about getting clear about that definition? Um, yeah, I think a definition of strategy is really difficult because it's about, this. Is, I suppose I would say it is more like this is what we don't do. So I would define it in that way. This is what we don't do, so therefore these are the things we do do. It should give a clear guide to people that we do this, but we don't do that um, as we work through. I think in today's um, modern world of incredible fast changes and so on, you have to have a good strategy, has to be flexible and fuzzy around the outside. But we still understand we don't do this or we do this. Um, if we think of the business school, do we run this type of program or that type of program? What, what's the driver that we're looking at? We won't run this because it doesn't fit what we do. A simple statement, even though we might make money out of it, but maybe we will. To me, that, that's what makes a good strategy. To develop a good strategy, it seems to me, is a whole different exercise. Because um, often um, the CEO and the board or the board and the CEO and the executive go off on a hill somewhere for three days, come wandering back from the mount with the Ten Commandments of where we're going to go and then expect it to happen. But I think the reality is that's all the data's there. Now how do we make it live? We would say, and in my experience with a number of companies, is it's then about uh, strategy mapping to be able to say, well, okay, this is what we have to get to in the end. This is where we're going. What does that look like in terms of in five years' time, three years' time, what will our profit margins be? What, what, what's our income got to be to achieve that strategy? Um, and then how do we do that? What are the themes we're going to do? Who's involved in what, what areas? And do we continue to work along those lines to make us successful? And if something goes wrong, what are we going to do? 
if you look at the, the work we do on strategy maps, down the bottom we, we get people to write what are their assumptions. So with one of the companies um, who was very much involved in the agricultural area, we had a real, they had a really good strategy, they developed the strategy map, but the, the assumption was there's no drought in the next two years because that would absolutely mess, mess around with their profits and their margins. But if we understand that when the, when the drought comes, if it does, we can look at the reasons why we're not getting to where we are and we have in place a plan to say, well, okay, we've pushed our data back. Will we wait for a year or so? And then when the drought comes, disappears, we can move on. So it's all part of that thinking about the possibilities. And I really like the idea of clear but fuzzy strategy. I know I've said it a few times because... The world is just changing so fast. I mean, we've got Donald Trump as a president at the moment. You know, who would have picked that? Brexit. All those things that have come that will impact upon a lot of businesses' strategies and indeed in Australia. When you um, spoke of forming strategy and our, our people on top of the mount, one of the things to do to look at your strategy as a good one is to stress test it, if you like, and look at some assumptions you might be making about whether this is a good strategy. What else should people be doing to test that strategy that they've got, they've chosen the right course before they're implementing it? I think there's two, two parts to, you, to your question and two answers. The first one is often when we're going away to do our strategy, it's not a big turnaround. So you are already partially testing the waters and trying things. Where you are going to make, so in that case, I would think it's already been stress tested. Where you are going to bring in a whole new idea, I'm very much in what I call the pilot phase. Can we actually test this in the market by some methodology? Now we can do it by going out to our customers or other customers or by finding different people to work with. But it really is a chance to say, well, let, let's try it. Um, there's, there's two sort of uh, ways of looking at a lot of this. You could do the major, major impact, look at the clients, do a whole market research, which is good for the marketers and all that sort of stuff. Or alternatively, you put a pilot out there. You test it in a, in a market and see what happens. You know, in, um, if you look at yellow tail wines, their original test was, okay, there's a market over there in America. It's for cheap wine. We're going to put it into this sort of package. It's for an un, uneducated customer. And we think we'll do about 40,000 um, cases per year. Yeah, I think last year was 12 million. Right? They didn't start with the process of making 12 million. They started with 40,000 and then away they went. And it was a, it was a worthwhile strategy. So now we, we have to rechange what we think we're going to do. How do, we, how do we ramp that up? How do we provide all the, 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 the processes to make that successful? So I think there's two sides to it. And what is the role of a vision statement, do you think, in strategy? Are they worth taking the effort to form them and, and do they work for people or, or the absence of a vision, is that important? What could you tell us about that? All I'd say, I suppose, that is um, yes and no. First of all, to those people listening to the podcast, could they at this moment recite their vision statement? Does it get them out of bed in the morning? On our program, we ask people to do that, and the majority of people can't say their vision statement, right? So is it valuable? I don't think so. Um, I think what you need to have, though, is some concept of a purpose. And there have been some excellent um, vision statements or maybe purposes. If you think of Coca-Cola, their, their main driver many years ago, I don't know if it still is, was to have a Coke within the hand of any person in the world. 
right? So then they develop things like, uh, you know, all those machines where you take them out of vending machines, thank you. But they, they develop the concept of vending machines. Not personally, but there's a vending machine. You can go anywhere. You, you can be in a, a university. You can be walking down the main street in KL and there'll be a Coke in hand. So is, is that a good vision statement? Good purpose. I think that works well. Honda would have, they wanted six Hondas in every garage. They don't mean cars, they make motors. So there's six Honda motors in every garage. So there's those sorts of things which make a lot of sense. I'm not poo-hooing them, but again, there was some research done um, on the First Eleven book, which um, you may have, some people may have read, and I'd recommend it as an excellent book. We use it on our program, where they looked at what makes people, what makes companies successful, and if all the successful companies are looked at, and some had vision statements, some had some things. Not all of them had it. So I don't think the vision statement is, is what really matters. I think it is, can you get the message down of what we're trying to achieve? John, you touched on the idea that executives tend to spend a bit of time in the weeds or looking at the colour of the weeds. Could you tell us a bit more about that? I think there's a number of reasons why that happens. I don't think it's that people don't want to talk about strategy. I think just strategy is sort of pushed to one side because the nature of executive meetings is we bring in all the people who lead their own little areas and the CEO is interested in what are the things that are mattering to those people. Uh, so it's much easier for me as a senior manager or as a senior executive to talk about what's happened in the last week. So that's fresh in my mind, rather than what are the issues that are facing me for the future. Uh, I know on one organisation I worked in where I was on, on the executive team, the CEO allowed me and the others to have what we called a red flag we could wave. So he, he would would be talking about stuff like um, what, we, what we're going to paint the rooms in the, in the, cash, in the cafeteria or something like that and with, with the facilities manager. So that makes sense. But I'm, as the person in, in resources, is not interested in the colour of, of that. I'm interested in us talking about things that matter to all of us. So I think there is a real need for people to look at their executive meetings to decide which part of them are about operational stuff that's happened. So we're looking back and how can we change that and spending time on where we're going in the future. I think the problem is we spend too much time looking back and not enough time saying, well, are we still on track for the future? Now, I'm not saying people don't do that, but often that's where I think you're going to get your big bang for your buck. And if those meetings are spending more time on where we're going, the other parts really are the one-on-ones that, that impact upon some of us or all of us, I don't mind. John, I've also heard about strategy on a page. Could you tell us what that might look like or what that means? <laughs> Yeah, strategy on a page is an interesting one. It's all one of those catch cries that everybody has and says, well, can I make this really simple? Uh, the answer to that is you can for your area. So uh, we would say if you were to develop a strategy map on a, on a page, which, which you can do with all the assumptions and the key drivers, um, that should be something you can take with you. We've had one lady on a program who had hers done in pencil. And she would wrap it up in a small piece. I don't know how it still survived, but she would be going out talking to people. And if someone started to talk about a different thing they're going, she would pull out this strategy map and talk to them about it with the folds and everything in it. So it was, it was in her purse. So that was to her, her strategy on a map. And she would talk to people. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is why we're not going to do that. Can you tell me why we should go in a different direction? So that was her strategy on a, on, on a page, which I think is good. You can put them on a balanced scorecard. We prefer the strategy map because because it, it shows a flow. And I think if you're thinking about where your strategy is going, a map is, is 
I suppose, a, a good metaphor for what we're trying to achieve. But it would normally have three major themes about getting to where you want to be in X number of years and how you would drive it. And uh, with the organisations that we've worked with, where we put these strategy maps, they are on one page, but behind them is where all the nitty gritty and the duts. So each area has got their own, what we're trying to achieve uh, and might have a whole heap of statistics. But the strategy map is the key drivers of performance that the executive team should be using as their drivers or levers of moving the, the organisation forward. It sounds like too that um, listening to your story about this person on the program, that having strategy in the forefront of your mind as your decision-making tool, or one of one of those, is a really key way to keep the strategy lined up with the actions of the organisation. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's really important. I think if you think about good CEOs or good, yeah, good CEOs, good senior managers, they're out there talking to the troops. Uh, and how they're talking should be based around the strategy of what's going on. You know, particularly at the high level, they're not spending their time in the weeds talking to the people down there. They should be talking about what's not getting us to achieve what we're trying to achieve. Can you give me some ideas? Many years ago, we did some work with Kraft and we did a program which was spread over nine months, one day a month with their frontline and their middle managers, I suppose. And uh, the idea was that each person would have to have some sort of a project that they could bring. So we had people, for instance, um, who were just a leading hand, only had one person answering to them. And, and they were able to come up with a project which saved the organisation money. It was stuff that was just there, but no one had asked them. And it's simple to ask is just to get them to say, we need to improve this. How would you go about it? What are the things you're doing? We were able to make an offer to organisations in those days that if they didn't want to pay the full price of our program, we'd give it to them at half price, but we had to get back half of what the productivity improvements were. For some reason, no one ever took me up on it, and I'm sure they were very glad, particularly the people at Craft, because they got some really good benefits out of it. Last summarising our thoughts for our CEOs or senior managers as they're executing their own strategies. I would think the most important thing in terms of moving forward is right people, right place. You've got the right people in the right place, then you can develop your alignment with goals. You can, you know you haven't got some, some problems on the way down. And it really is about communication. The strategy map is a communication tool. I've been doing balance scorecards for over, and strategy maps for over 25 years. And in each of the places where it's worked, it's a communication tool. It's worked together with the people who have to implement it. So each part of it is clearly explained to people. So it terms we might get 30 people in a room with the frontline people to explain what we're trying to achieve. So to me, it's communication. It's making certain, one of the keys is to make certain your frontline leader is totally on board. The people who work for them see them as the people to give them the most advice. So in our model of implementing strategy or implementing change, we really press a lot of time on tools that will enable people to get the message. Thanks, John. It's been great talking to you about the do's and don'ts of good strategy execution. For more on strategy or any of our programs at Melbourne Business School, visit our website at mbs.edu.